So Joshua is where we are starting our new series today. Uh, we're going to go through this series, it's like a couple weeks, three weeks I believe it is. And so I'm going to give a little intro to Joshua before we start to hop into the passage. Really the heart of this is there's the battle of Jericho and this was the ultimate challenge for Joshua. The walls, they loomed really big. In him there was tension and troubles that stood in the way. And maybe we, that resonates in our life too. There's some big walls that we see. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's family, maybe it's work, maybe it's health, maybe it's relationships. And we want to overcome those. And as we study this incredible book, God answers for Joshua can provide guidance for us to see our Jerichos, the things that are really big in our lives that seem huge. And we can conquer them through the promises of Jesus. And so leading up to this, for 400 years, the Israelites had been in captivity in Egypt. A promise had been given to Abraham hundreds of years before and said this, to your offspring, I will give you, I'll give this land. Quote, unquote, God. A flourishing land of their own. Then God sent Moses. And they journeyed toward the promise. And we read the stories where Moses is involved in miracles. They followed him everywhere. And then they came to the edge of this promise. And it's in Numbers 13. I know we're using numbers here for a, 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 a verse on a Sunday. I don't remember. I just remember numbers. There's numbers. But here we are. We're talking about numbers. Anyways, I, I just went on a rabbit trail. I'm sorry. Numbers 13. Moses sends scouts into the promised land. Twelve scouts from the twelve tribes. And it says... We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruits. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak, giants there. Here they are, Jericho. Obstacle and opportunity combined. And Jericho's strength, it was, it was infamous. This is not a current picture of Jericho. We don't have those anymore. Obviously, the walls fell down. But this is kind of what it would look like. You see the two sets of walls there. Their resources were renowned. They're a beautiful oasis. They had powerful warriors. Two walls, 26 feet tall, surrounded Jericho. On top, earthen embankment. And then there's a security, uh, securely bared gates. This is kind of how it, it looked. They said you can run two chariots through the embankment there. So it wasn't just one big wall. It was two walls separated. It seemed impossible. How are we going to take this land? And as we realize life, when God promises something to us, and as we journey with them, there was never a promise that there would not be any obstacles. Right? We can go through life and be like, you promised this to me. But there's obstacles that we face. Seemingly impassable obstacles in the way. Every bit as impossible as Jericho. We go through life, we have good times. We've had times when we felt close to God. We've had times when we, life is going well and everything's hunky-dory. Then the obstacle hits, and it looms impossible, and the challenges come. And we go through this. We can't do this. It's too tough. It's, there's too many layers. There's external walls, and then there's internal walls. Not just one, but two. And we have all faced Jerichos, and we will. And what is yours? Maybe it's an internal wall. 
Maybe you're believing a lie. Maybe your belief systems are, are keeping you from the promise. Maybe you have insecurities. Maybe you're hurt from the past. Maybe you have fear. Maybe you have a bit of shame. Maybe there are external walls like finances, careers, health, relationships, as I mentioned in the beginning. When we encounter these walls, as Joshua did, we have a choice, and we see the choice in Numbers 13 with the 12 spies that went in. We can be like the 10 spies that came back, and they don't, they're not remembered. I don't remember their names. But they came back, and they focused on the problem instead of the promise. They said in Numbers 13, 31, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. We can't do this. Or you can be like Joshua and Caleb, and we remember those names. And we can choose to focus on the God opportunity rather than the obstacle. Caleb said in Numbers 13, 30, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And then in Numbers 14, 7 and 9, and said to the entire Israel assembly, the land we pass through and export is exceedingly good. Sorry, exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And this is where we lead up into Joshua chapter 1. The opportunity. Now the book of Joshua begins with Joshua being commanded to lead Israel after Moses had died. And into what he believes is going to be a fight for Jericho. What he believes is going to be a fight. If you want to turn to your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 to 9, gladly do it. If you don't have your Bibles here, or if you have your phone, you may whip out your phone. As long as you don't text, promise me. Um, it, but it's going to pop up here on the screen too. Joshua chapter 1, 1 to 9. Here we go. And it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to, to Lebanon, and from the great river to the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country. To the Mediterranean Sea in the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Confidence doesn't come from looking at what's inside of you, right? We see in this verse 5, it's like, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. It's not because they're awesome. It's because as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Confidence is not from within. It comes from seeing the one standing next to you. I'm confident because I know I have Christ with me. And then it continues on, 6 to 9. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it 
to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Essentially, he's telling Joshua, you need to know your word. You need to know it. And now the first challenge comes. The first challenge that Joshua is going to face is in Joshua 5, 13 to 15. And this is the first thing he's coming against now. And it's the, just on the eve of the fight. What he thinks is going to be the fight. The scene here in Joshua takes place on the eve of the battle. As you can imagine, Joshua is pretty nervous. You're going to battle. Pretty nervous. Before a game, very nervous. Not the same thing what Joshua and I was doing. But you get the nerves, right? We can, we can understand that there's nerves going in. He feels war is imminent. And this is his first moment of true leadership. So he's having a little trouble sleeping. So he goes out, he takes a walk. In Joshua 5.13 it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, other translations say at Jericho. In the Hebrew it says at. It literally means he was right there by the walls in the evening, standing by the walls. Then he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him. With a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? First, can we acknowledge Joshua is a man's man. He saw the enemy, or what he perceived to be the enemy, with their sword drawn. He walks up to them and says, Are you for us or for against us? Joshua is better than Chuck Norris. Superman wears Joshua pajamas. Death once had a near Joshua experience. Joshua is the man. Now this man responds to Joshua and he says in verse 14, he says this, neither or no. Like no, like it wasn't like a yes or no question. It's like, hey, what's your name? No, like that's not, that's not no question. No means this though. Neither means this. You're asking the wrong question. And it continues. This man who was there at the wall says, But as your commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. The question is not, am I on your side, Joshua? But are you on my side? This person is saying, I'm not coming as lieutenant. This strange man says, I'm coming as the general. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now what is exactly is Joshua standing in front of? We could say an angel, but it can't be an angel. I'm a creature just like you. Worship God. Joshua, however, falls on his face, and this being doesn't say, whoa, Joshua, get up, but thank you for worshiping me. This is what theologians call Christophany, or an Old Testament pre-nativity appearance of God in human form. What this person is demanding is surrender, because this battle, this battle that Joshua is about to go into, this fight, he's going to need help. This is a battle Jesus, God, is going to fight, not Joshua. We skip this part, but after they crossed the Jordan River, 
And as they lay exposed before Jericho, God had Joshua circumcise all the males. I don't think that's normal pre-battle practice. That left them really, really vulnerable. Why would you put your soldiers in a very vulnerable position before the enemy? To show them that safety and victory did not belong to them. This was God's battle, not theirs. And this will be a theme. This was not their battle. It was God's. And then we get to the next chapter, chapter 6. And now the battle is about to begin. But it's not going as they expect it to go. And for those who've heard this story or know the story, it's kind of odd. The instructions are very odd. They're all amped up for a fight. They're all amped up, ready to go in. God tells them, I want you to put the ark in front of you and march around the city in silence. I've never heard this before. Once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, on day seven, I want you to march around seven times, and on that seventh time, shout, and I'll take care of the rest. Can you imagine when the soldiers went home after those first six days, and their wife's like, well, what'd you do today? Yeah, we just walked around the city in silence. It's like, you walked around the city in silence while I looked after the four kids. <laughs> they do this, though. They do this. They are obedient. They listen. And the walls come down, and Israel takes the land. We see in this story, and again, it isn't our power to win the battle. It's the Lord's power. It's his power to win this battle. So there are three things I want to take from this. Three things I want to impart to you in this. There are three postures we must take to see God tear down the walls of the Jerichos in our lives. Three things that we need to surrender unto him. The first one is surrender. We need to be in absolute surrender to him. The man who appears to Joshua in chapter 5 makes clear that he came not as the lieutenant to assist Joshua, but as the general to command Joshua, the one to lead him. Joshua had, he thought he was the leader. He's actually laying it down. And he's not the commander. How do you see God in your life? And we've been talking about this. This is the point I make a lot. Because not all of us tend to relate to God like our faithful lieutenant. We want him to be our lieutenant. I mean, our commander. We sometimes see him as someone who can influence us, guide us, comfort us, take care of us, help us through tough times, and most of all, escort us to a safe place after death so we don't be afraid. But the greatest threat to truth, to authentic faith in our lives is religious activity. And religion is always characterized by partial obedience. Partially being obedient. In Joshua, we see as they take the land, there's this character named Akna. Akna, Akna. And he goes in after they go into the land. And they had specific commandments to them. He said, don't take any silver, any gold, any bronze, any iron. Don't take any of those. But as Achan is going through the land... He takes some of those things. It's not like he switched sides or he quit believing in God. He just broke his faith in God, feeling like he needed to take control of some areas in his life to guarantee his happiness and security. He saw it, 
the Lord wasn't enough. I'm taking this. I need this for me. He probably said, what's this hurting anybody? There's tons here. Just a little bit for us. And how often do we sometimes justify our lack of excuse? Is this hurting anybody? His actions were evil, not because of what they did directly to the other people, but because of what they revealed about his confidence in God. And lordship has been this word that's been really resonating with me. I've been reading through Colossians, and it's been about lordship. Lordship. That we must be totally for it and giving it all to him, letting him be Lord. If I say to Kim, I'm only, I'm going to be exclusively yours, Kim. I'll be yours. Except Friday nights between 8 p.m. and 4 a.m. I'm not. It's like 93%. That's super good. That's like an A minus. He wants to be Lord of all, Lord of everything, complete surrender, laying it down to him, letting him be in the general. Jesus doesn't come to be part of your life. He comes to be your life. And the good news is Joshua, is he, got, he has plans far beyond what you can ever, ever be, imagine, ever dream of. C.S. Lewis said that coming into relationship with Christ or having Jesus into your life is like him coming into this old rickety house where a lot of stuff doesn't work. And so Jesus comes in and gets to work. He fixes the leaks and he patches the roof and he unplugs the drains and things are great. You're like, oh, that was great. All those things that are really needed, you did. Yes, thank you. But then he starts to rip out a wall. And you're like, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you ripping out this wall? But then as he rips out this wall behind it, there's shiplap. And you're like, yes, Joanna Gaines approves of this. <laughs> and you're like, this is amazing. Then he rips out the carpet. And you're like, whoa, I, I liked actually the green shag carpet. But then as he rips out the carpet, there's beautiful hardwood floor behind, under it. We come in wanting to fix the things that we actually need fixed, but he wants to do so much more than you can dream of. The Lord has a better plan. He knows what's best for you. Yes, coming into a relationship means salvation, but that's not just it. There's so much more beyond that. The second thing we can learn from Joshua in this story is courage. And we hear this a lot. This word in the first chapter, if you read Joshua chapter 1, you hear courageous a whole lot. And throughout the book of Joshua, the primary thing that derails obedience is fear. Write this down. In Joshua, it feels like this. Fear equals rebellion. And I'll, get, I'll touch on this as I close here. But it brings us to perhaps why God did things the way he did in this story. Put yourself in the place of the Israelite warrior. You are expecting to fight. God just tells them to march. God never tells you why or how long to march. It never says Joshua explained anything to him. He just said march. This is, this is the plan right here. And while you are marching, nothing happens. You're marching around, nothing's happening. It's not like, a brick fell off gradually, and you're like, oh, yes, progress. Or they started to shake a little bit. Oh, wow, we've been marked. Actually, we were stamping really hard, and I can feel things starting to shake. I don't know about you, but I need to see progress in order to continue to be motivated. 
And why is God doing it this way? Why is he doing it like this? Because he wanted to do through them, what he wanted to do through them was not as important as what he wanted to do within them. God was preparing them for the promise they were about to receive. He wanted them to be less focused on the outcome and more focused on obedience. Because outcome is God's responsibility, faithful obedience is ours. We trust God with the outcome, we faithfully obey him knowing that he's in control of the outcome. As they are walking, nothing may have been happening to the walls, but something was happening within them as they continued to walk, faithfully being obedient, doing it. Courage is the ability to keep going even when you can't see the results because you know God is faithful. It's the courage. Courage is the ability to keep going even when you can't see the results because you know God is faithful. And to keep going for a long time even when you don't see anything, endurance is this. Simply, endurance is simply courage repeated day by day. What derails most of us in obedience is a lack of courage. And so, where is fear keeping you from obedience? Do you know the most repeated command in the Bible is this? Fear not. The most repeated commandment, fear not. It's like he knew we were fearful people. It's 366 times in the Bible it says fear not. It's one for every day of the year. And he even covered the leap year. And so fear not. Fear not. Because he's in control of the outcome. He just wants us to be obedient. And the last thing is, before we get into communion, is the faith to wait. In Joshua, the people are ready to fight. They're ready to go. The question was if they were ready to wait. And we all say, ugh, wait? I hate waiting. I tell a story of my wife. She's semi-patient. I'll, I'll tell the story. Come ask me after. I don't want to throw her under the bus. <laughs> but anyways, I just threw her under the bus right there. And so... Whenever God calls someone to do something, there is always a period like this. There's always a period of waiting. Moses, Paul, David, waiting. They're circling. The Israelites, they're circling. They're just circling around, waiting, waiting. Don't abort. Don't abort. The this is the hardest faith of all, the faith to wait. The time in your life when you can't see what God is doing, but you know you're circling, faithfully being obedient. And so the question is, what are you circling right now that you are faithfully waiting for? Sickness? Singleness? Maybe you're going through, maybe you're going through the loss of the job and you're faithfully waiting. Maybe getting passed over for a promotion. Maybe you're in, in, in there's infertility. Maybe you're praying for a loved one to come to faith. Maybe you're waiting for a house to sell and to buy a house. There's something you're circling, the faith to wait. Just like the Israelites, I will faithfully do this. Knowing it might take some time, but knowing he's in control of the outcome. 
we are going to partake in communion here. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I want to read this section of scripture in Joshua as it prepares us for communion. Joshua 24, 14 and 19 says this. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us out of our parents up uh, uh, brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. But then Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. And this is how it ends. I'm like, wow, this is pretty intense. He take, they go through all this, and this is how it ends. You won't be able to. See, Joshua, like Moses, he has been unable to lead the people to be courageous. But as I read this, what this reminds me is that every book in the Old Testament is like this. This is how it all ends in the Old Testament, every book. And so, another Joshua would come. And he would give us the courage to obey all the way. Because this Joshua would show us that in even clearer ways that he is fighting for us. And the city that stood in our way was not Jericho. It was the city of our sin and the curse of death. And Jesus, which simply in Greek, it, which is simply Greek for Joshua, said, don't lift a finger to take it down. There's nothing you can do. I will do it for you. A new Joshua, Jesus. And he went to the cross. And when he died, he shouted. And when he did, he knocked, he knocked down not walls of brick and mortar, but the internal separation from God. Walls fell down. Yes, a veil did tear. And now he had defeated death. The sword of our judgment that he carried in his hand turned on himself and placed it into his own heart. And this is why we take communion. To remember that a better Joshua came for us. If you're new here, this is how we'll partake. I'm going to invite Chris to come on down, and we're going to be here at the ends of these aisles with the, uh, with the emblems. And when they start to play, you can make your way down and serve. You can sit back down, or actually stand, and we'll take together. I'm going to pray, and then we'll pass it off to the worship team. Heavenly Father, we thank you that all the stories in the Old Testament, they point to you. They point to you, Jesus, that you came for our sins.
that you came for our, our transgressions, that you came to save us. And as we take of these emblems, we remember the stories in Joshua, and they do teach us something. They teach us how to walk this life. They teach us that you came for us. So Father, as we partake, let us remember what you did for us. In your name we pray.